You're listening to the New Life Church Sunday Morning Podcast. We're a family of believers in Anderson, Missouri, that want to experience God in a real way, both inside and outside the walls of a building. For more Sunday messages, upcoming events, or to get in touch, visit new-life-church.net. I don't know if you guys knew this or not, but when a business or an organization hires a consultant, help them come in to do a transition, a season of change, or to maybe help improve the bottom line or develop a new product, many times a consultant will ask them basically three questions. And they may ask a lot more questions. They might take surveys and polls from the employees and the staff and leadership to get the answers to these questions. But it pretty much boils down to these three questions. Number one, who are you? Who are you as a business or an organization? Number two, where are you going? And then number three, how will you get there? So it's basically forcing them, asking them to step back, take a look at really who are they, instead of just doing the same thing every day over and over, continuing on without ever stopping and reflecting on those things. Where are you going? Do you even know where you're going? I think it can be obvious for a lot of us that there are some businesses, organizations, and even individuals who don't know that. And then, how will you get there? You might know where you want to go, but do you even know how to get there? And so a a good consultant will basically ask a myriad of questions, but it'll boil down to those three. Well, this morning and next week, we're going to be embarking on a very short mini-series basically answering those three questions about church. Okay, church globally, God's church, the bride of Christ, as well as us locally, and how that applies to us here at New Life Church, or if you're visiting us from another town or out of the area for the holidays or whatever, how it would apply, what scripture says, how this should apply to the church that you are currently committed to. So, this morning our message title is, What is Church? We're going to talk more about the who are you and the where are we going uh, part of the church. And then next week, we're going to talk more about the how we will get there. You know, what is the function and how is that function played out? How do we practically try to accomplish the mission and, and the objective of the church? So why teach on this particular topic, you might ask? No, I don't have an agenda that I'm trying to promote, nor does anybody else here. We're not trying to make anybody feel guilty in this. Of, oh gosh, I know my attendance hasn't been good lately. Here he goes. New Year's resolution number one for me. No, we're not trying to do that either. But what we are trying to do is communicate to you what God has communicated to us through his word about the church. We will continue in Colossians, don't worry, but we're going to do that after the missions conference. Um, There's just a couple of weeks here in between when that kicks off and you would feel like we're starting and stopping and getting whiplash if we tried to start that up and stop it for that. So as opposed to that, we're going to do two weeks here on the church. And then my plan is, um, as long as God continues to guide us in this direction, that we'll do a week or two on the sanctity of life and celebrating life and the importance and meaning of that. And then we'll kick off into the missions conference for a couple weeks after that. All right. Everybody know where we're going at least? 
All right, let's talk about the who we are. <clears throat> Let me start, though, by saying what church is not. <clears throat> we have this frame of reference as we work through a definition here this morning based off Scripture, but let's look at what church is not. Church is not unbiblical. Well, duh, right? That should be without saying, but in today's age, it's not without saying. It needs to be said. Church should be biblical. In other words, what I'm saying by this is it should not have shifting beliefs or shifting theology or doctrine. It shouldn't be driven by the culture. Where the culture is pushing and going that could be contrary to scriptures, it doesn't mean that the church should follow and go that direction. We shouldn't be teaching from the platform or the pulpit. I don't use one, but you know what I mean when I say that, most of you. We shouldn't be teaching in that way based off of hot topics from the culture and letting that drive what we teach and then finding verses to back up what we're saying. No, we should be looking at the Word of God and letting the Word of God drive what we're saying and what we're doing. And if we do that, I promise you, God will address the topics and the hot buttons of our culture. <clears throat> Church should not also be unbiblical in that it is gospel plus or gospel minus. And what I mean by that is it should not be adding anything to the gospel of Jesus Christ. Like there is another way to be saved. Or you, after accepting Christ, you then have to do this to be saved. We're saved by grace through faith in Jesus Christ alone. Or it should not be taking away from the gospel. Indicating that there are other ways to be saved. Jesus is only one of them. That's not true. A church should also not be exclusive. It should not be an us versus them mentality. Us versus the world that's lost. Or an us versus another church down the road. Or anything like that. It should not be exclusive in that way. It also should not be legalistic. Legalism is anti-unity. It causes diversity. It's a I'm better than you because I'm following more rules than you are. We should also not be exclusive in that we discriminate. Discriminate against anybody from their past because of, or their income level or their color of skin or their language or anything else along those ways. We should not be discriminating against anybody else. There should also not be cliques or holy huddles, to use a church jargon here, where you have the same people that hang out together and at church, they're hanging out together and they're never interacting with anybody else at church. And, and even in town, they're in, hanging out together. I'm all for friends, absolutely. I'm all for wanting to hang out with friends. But if we're not branching out and meeting new people, we might be in a holy huddle. Now, just one thought that I've had since being here for two years. I am still meeting people in this church and finding out that there are people and I'm not picking on one side of the room or the other. But there are people who sit on this side of the room every week. And there are people who sit on this side of the room every week. And they don't even know who they are. And I'm like, come on, y'all. <laughs> I used to attend a church that had 8,000 people come through the doors on the weekends. And I get it there. It's hard for me to get it here. When less than 200 come every week. So 120 to 150-ish. And we don't even know each other. And y'all been attending church here longer than me. I don't know everybody well either. I'm still working on it. 
Let's work on it together. Change things up. Swap sides of the room. Really freak somebody out. By the way, there are no names on any of these chairs. Okay? You do not have a chair that's yours. Even if in the chair campaign way back when you bought that chair, it's not yours. It's God's. Okay? Just saying. I'm all for having your favorite chair, but freak somebody out one Sunday and change it up, okay? And like, hey, by the way, I'm so-and-so. Good to meet you. It'll be good for everybody. A church should also not be self-centered. It should not be self-centered. It should not have control over faith. We should not have to have an issue of control over, in, over trusting God and having faith in His plan and purpose. And also under self-centered, I said a church, I think and believe a church should also not be more concerned about its building, its traditions, or its things over relationships, people, or ministry. Okay? We're grateful for this building. We're grateful for how God has provided for it. God could take this building away, as he did in our church history. He took a building we were meeting in away by fire. I pray he doesn't, but he could. If it's an idol for us, I pray he does. We should not have an idol of a building over Christ and over doing what God has called us to be as a church. Now, if we were to pull believers and unbelievers alike on what the definition of church is, I think those answers might vary as much as items in a thrift store. Some would say it's a civic organization. Some might say it's a building. Some might say it's a place where Christians get fed and nourished. Others might say it's a place only for Christians. Some would say it's an occult. Some would say it's an intolerant and full of hypocrites. Now, tragically, there are some organizations out there who call themselves churches that embody some of these things, if not all of these things. Webster's Dictionary of 1828 defines it as this, a house consecrated to the worship of God among Christians, the Lord's house. Not bad, although I'm usually a fan of that dictionary, I find it lacking. I find that dictionary... That definition lacking. So the definition that we have embraced here is this. It's kind of long, a little bit wordy, but there's a reason for it. It says this, A group of imperfect people saved by grace through faith in Jesus Christ who come together in covenantal community under Christ to encourage and inspire one another to love God, love others, and make disciples of Jesus Christ. I'm going to say it again. A group of imperfect people saved by grace through faith in Jesus Christ who come together in covenantal community under Christ to encourage and inspire one another to love God, love others, and make disciples of Jesus Christ. Okay, we're going to take that definition. Now, that definition is based 100% solely on Scripture. And we're going to break that definition down into three bite-sized chunks and look at Scripture, some of the Scriptures, not all of them, into three different chunks here so that we can kind of look at it, see where Scripture backs it up and why we say this and why we believe this and why we hope to practice this. 
So the first chunk is imperfect people saved by grace through faith in Jesus Christ. The second chunk is covenantal community under Christ. And the third chunk is to encourage and inspire one another to love God, love others, and make disciples of Jesus Christ. Okay? Number one, imperfect people saved by grace through faith in Jesus Christ. And this is the personalization part of this definition. The personalization part for us as individuals committed to the church body. This part has more to do with what Christ did for each one of us. But each one of us are not separate from the whole. We're all interrelated and connected in all of it. But it's what Christ did in order for that individual, that unbeliever, to be brought into the family of God, his church. It's also this part of the definition that we see the gospel or the good news of Jesus Christ reflected in. Let me explain this. We are imperfect before Christ. What I mean by that is pre-salvation. So before Christ, we are imperfect. Romans 3.22-24 through 24 tells us, The righteousness of God is through faith in Christ Jesus to all who believe, since there is no distinction. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Everybody should be familiar with that verse if you've been in church for any amount of time. And then it continues in verse 24. They are justified freely by his grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. Not one person who has ever been born here on earth is without sin. Period. That's what this is saying. It also says that in Psalm 51. In other places, I'm sorry, Psalm 139, I think. One of those. In Psalms. I could have messed up the chapter. But scripture is very clear throughout it that we are born into sin. And we could get into the theology of the age of accountability. We're not going to do that this morning. We can have a side discussion if you want to on that. But we are imperfect before Christ. We are also imperfect after Christ, post-salvation. Okay, 1 John 1.8 clearly talks about that even if we are believers and yet think we no longer sin, we are deceiving ourselves and the truth is not in us. So I'm going to restate this because there are some who believe that once you accept Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior here on earth, that you no longer sin. And I think anybody doing an honest self-evaluation would look at their life and realize they make mistakes. Mistakes against what God says in His Word. And if those mistakes that are against what God says isn't sin, I don't know what else you're going to call it. Even if we have chosen to trust and believe in Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior, we still sin. I do. Anybody else with me on that? Yeah. I still mess up. I still am not patient with my family at times. I still have selfish motives. I still have all of these things in my life. Now I have the strength and the hope and the power of Jesus Christ inside me as a believer to overcome. And because of that salvation, I'm no longer enslaved to that sin i'm a new creation but there's still a battle and a war raging inside me my flesh against who i am in christ other scriptures back this up like romans 7 23 where paul describes the war raging in him like i just talked about and then in hebrews 12 where it talks about god disciplining those he loves why would he have to discipline Somebody, if they didn't sin, he wouldn't. 
He's a gracious and merciful and loving God. He disciplines those he loves, his children, those who've chosen to follow him. And he says that he will discipline those. And we become his children through salvation. As it says in John 1.12. Though we are imperfect before Christ and still imperfect after knowing Christ, here's the good news of the gospel. We are righteous in God's sight because of Christ. So when God looks at us, he sees the blood of Jesus Christ. And he sees us as righteous. This is the good news of the gospel. Though we are unworthy because of our sin, he makes us worthy because of what Christ did on the cross. In Ephesians 2, 8 and 9, For you are saved by grace through faith, and this is not from yourselves. It is God's gift. It's not from works, so that no one can boast. And then in Romans 5, 25 and 26, God presented him, Jesus, as an atoning sacrifice in his blood, received through faith to demonstrate his righteousness. Because in his restraint, God passed over the sins previously committed. God presented him to demonstrate his righteousness at the right time so that he would be righteous and declare righteous the one who has faith in Jesus. Did you catch that? That he would declare righteous the one who has faith in Jesus. Fellow believers and members of the body of Christ, the church, we are imperfect people, saved by grace through faith in Christ Jesus. Imperfect before and after Christ, though righteous before our Heavenly Father because of Christ. The second part of our definition is this covenantal community under Christ. So committed to covenantal community under Christ. This is the proclamation part. So it was the personalization part, the proclamation part. This portion of the definition talks about us as individual believers proclaiming or committing to be a part of the church. Okay? In 1985, Robert Bella, professor of sociology at the University of California at Berkeley, he co-authored a book with several others. This book title was Habits of the Heart, Individualism and Commitment in American Life. It was a study in American individualism and a warning that the loss of ideals like commitment, community, and covenant will be the undoing of America. This was written in 1985. In it, he quoted a Frenchman, and I'm not going to try to pronounce his name. We'll just call him Alexis. Alexis. Sorry, I tried to pronounce even his first name. Messed up. Tocqueville? Tocqueville. I couldn't help but try. Who came to America about 190 years ago. And when he came here about 190 years ago from today, not 1985, he described America like this. Such folk owe no man anything and hardly expect anything from anybody. Does that sound like the mindset of Americans and around here? All of us? They form the habit of thinking of themselves in isolation and imagine that their whole destiny is in their own hands. Bella argued in his book that this is even more so true of Americans in the 80s than it was 190 years ago. He continued by saying, individualism narrows our concern to our own immediate problems. 
If you take a look at our culture today, I'd say that this is even more so true today than it was then. Materialism, consumerism, career advancement, social media, technology, all promotes self and the individual over everything else. To be in a covenantal community is countercultural for us. So what God asks us to do to be covenantly committed to his church, the bride, it's countercultural to everything that the media and news and commercials are screaming at us day in and day out. It is our comfort for ourselves, security for ourselves, and entertainment for ourselves that this community and this culture, not our community here, but the culture as a whole promotes and strives to get us to buy into. That we're not happy unless we have these things. We're not happy unless I have the ability and the freedom to be me in everything I want me to be. And you can't tell me how me should be. Yet this is not at all what a follower of Jesus Christ looks like. God asks us to put others' needs above our own. Not only that, Christ reminds us often that there will be suffering in this life, not guaranteed comfort. Living in covenantal community goes far beyond whether church feels good or not, whether the music is what we like or the songs we sing or your favorite songs or not. It's whether we think that one preacher is better than another or relationship difficulties within the body cause us to not want to come. Or choosing to stay up late the night before causes us to be too tired to come. For Christians, it is a covenantal commitment to be in an intentional, active, and servant-like relationships with other believers. And I believe our commitment to a local church is our second highest covenantal commitment that we can have, second to marriage. And we all know if you're married, how our marriages go, if we see like how we feel. Right? You don't feel like being your husband or wife today. Try that one on and see how it goes. Don't try it. <laughs> that was a facetious statement. Don't try that. Where we live in this part of in the in the county, there have been many nights where the clouds are, are low and it's overcast night and it's covering the stars and the moon and it's it would be pretty much pitch black. Except we can look to the north and we can see the lights of Goodman reflecting off the clouds. Sometimes we can even see the Neosho Airport uh, light flashing around on certain overcast nights. And then if we look to our southwest, we can even see the lights of Anderson reflecting off the clouds. And interestingly enough, on those nights that would be otherwise almost pitch black outside, because the clouds are covering the sky, these two towns' lights light up the sky, reflect off the clouds, and make it almost as bright or brighter than on the nights where the moon is full and huge and bright outside. 
See, if we are a believer in Jesus Christ, we should stand out collectively in a covenantal community to a lost and hopeless world like those city lights do on an overcast night. Ephesians chapter 2, verses 17 through 22 says this, He, Jesus again, came and proclaimed the good news of peace to you who were far away and peace to those who were near. For through him we both have access in one spirit to the Father. So then you are no longer foreigners and strangers, but fellow citizens with the saints and members of God's household, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets with Christ Jesus himself as the cornerstone. In him the whole building being put together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him you are also being built together for God's dwelling in the Spirit. Did you catch that in verse 19? When we were saved, we become members of God's household. And Christ Jesus being the cornerstone, verse 20, and then continuing with that building reference, verses 21 and 22, we are put together and we grow together like a temple or a building that's being built with all the individual parts and materials and things that go into a building that make it. It's not just carpet, it's not just paint, it's not just ceiling tiles that we in here. There are things in the wall. There's steel and wood and multiple other things that went into this building to put it together. And that's like us. We each have a part to play, a role to play of God putting together, building a building where we become a follower of His. And we become a part of that. And then, of course, like it says in Colossians 1.18, as we've covered in our series in Colossians, Christ is the head of the body the church. Are you guys tracking with me so far in our definition? A group of imperfect people saved by grace through faith in Jesus Christ who come together in covenantal community under Christ. Personalizing and proclaiming our role as members of the body of Christ. So our third bite-sized chunk of our definition is this. To encourage and inspire one another in the GC squared life. The great commandment and the great commission. Love God, love others. Great commandment. Go into all the world and make disciples. Great commission. This final part of our definition is about the demonstration of the individual's salvation. Manifested corporately through their commitment to the body of Christ. Christ's bride, the church demonstrated through encouraging and inspiring one another to fulfill the great commandment and the great commission. Now next week we're going to go into more details about the how we're going to get their part and how we hope to accomplish that as a local church. It's important though that even though we're going to go into it more detail next week that we begin that this week. Hebrews chapter 10 verses 23 through 25 tells us this. Let us hold on to the confession of our hope without wavering, since he who promised is faithful. And let us watch out for one another to provoke love and good works, not neglecting to gather together, as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging each other, and all the more as you see the day approaching. This is the encouraging and inspiring one other part of the definition. It is not merely enough to show up. We need to engage, interact, pray for, and serve each other. I 
One church I went to at one point said basically you're a bleacher creature or a pew warmer if you're only showing up and not engaged in prayer or serving in some capacity, form, or another. And then again, to repeat what I mean when we say the GC squared life around here, the great commandment of Matthew 22, 36 through 40, Jesus Christ, the Son of God, who was God and man, straight up told everybody he was talking to in this conversation, the Pharisees and Sadducees and his disciples, that all of the commandments could be boiled down to this one, to love God with everything you are and everything you do, and to love others. And then the second part of the GC squared life is the Great Commission. One of the final commands that Jesus gave to that first beginnings of a church after he was resurrected from the dead and before he ascended to heaven, he said to go into all the earth and to make disciples, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And in a nutshell, that means that we are to spread the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ with those we come into contact with, and to also go about the work of going and sending others to go beyond our sphere of influence. It's about discipling those within the church, our children, each other, new believers, and it's also about evangelism, going and sharing, so that new will come to know him, others will come to know him. Your commitment, attendance, and involvement in a local body of Christ demonstrates your love for God and your love for others. How can we not love Christ and not love what he loves? You see, Christ loves his bride. He loves the church. Why else would he call it his bride? He died for his church, for us. And to think that church is optional in our lives. And there was a season in my life, true confession, that I wondered if it was optional. And took a journey in that and exploring that and looking at scriptures and reading books about that and different things. So I get those feelings. I get the being fed up with organization and, and different things like that. But the point isn't about me. And that's the conclusion that I had to come to. It wasn't about me and what I was feeling. It's about what God had mandated and orchestrated and created. And what is my role in that? And Tony says it often. It's, it's not about showing up to get. It's about showing up to serve. And as we serve and we worship our Heavenly Father and Jesus Christ, His Son, and let the Holy Spirit empower us, I can promise you, you will get more than you need. See, true nourishment in your spiritual life will come through your commitment to God, your commitment to the church, and you serving in it, and giving in it, interacting in it, praying in it. And then He will in turn bestow His blessings and favor and all the spiritual nourishment you'll need and then some. You see, Paul also describes a church like a body in its many parts in 1 Corinthians 12. I don't know about you, but if you got up one morning to go to work or set about doing some things,
things and all of a sudden your leg's like, nah, I'm staying in bed. Or your hand or your, even a finger or a toe. It could make for a rough day, wouldn't it? If that part of your body just said, no, I'm taking the day off, I'm, I'm chilling. And you're trying to go about the day. Now, we could figure out a way to make it happen, right? We could figure it out. We could, we could get there and get some things done. It'd take a long time. We would have to go through a lot of undue stress and unnecessary strain to make it happen, but it's the same thing with this body. When you are here, we are better. When you are here and committed and engaged, we are, we're like a race car. There's no telling what God can do in and through us. Instead of a few trying to do all of it, we now have all of the body parts. Ultimately, this is Christ's church. He is the shepherd of this local church, the global church. I'm an under-shepherd, maybe the janitor, I don't know. But it's his. And he's going to make it grow. Matthew 16, 18, he's, he clearly states to Peter, this is my church, I will cause it to grow, and not even the gates of hell can stand against it. So when we start worrying about the decline of Christianity in the world or in America, especially lately, or other things, we have a hope and a promise that it's not going to go away. See, Satan's been trying to make it go away for 2,000 plus years. And he's going to keep failing. But would you rather be a spectator in this, of? bleacher creature or a pew warmer or chair warmer would you rather be a participant would you rather be the ones on the field and in the game or just the folks sitting in the stands with your snacks watching I don't know about you but I'd rather be worn out and broken down, sliding into my grave, saying, what a ride, Jesus. What a ride. So what is a church? Who are we? We're a group of imperfect people. We're going to make mistakes. But we're saved by grace through faith in Jesus. And we come together committed to each other. We're going to have each other's back. We're going to accomplish the mission that Christ has given us together in covenantal community with Him as our head to encourage each other, to inspire one another, to carry each other at times and as needed so that we can all better love God. We can all better love each other in the world around us and that we can then go and send together so that more will come to know him. As we close, would you join me in prayerful reflection and consideration of what your commitment is here
here or to your church, again, if you're visiting from out of town, what is it? You see, I think that there are some folks around here that probably are serving too much. There are some folks around here that they're at everything when the doors are open. And I am so grateful for them and I know they will be so blessed and I'm not God. Y'all know that. But I look at their lives and, and how often they're here and, and I get concerned about their opportunities to rest in Him too. And while we have a congregation that many pastors and leaders in churches would be bragging and boasting about, and I do, last I checked the numbers, 50 plus percent of us serve regularly here and in this body, and that's highly unusual and a testament to you, the leadership before me, and God's work here most of all. But that also means there's 40 or 50 percent of us that aren't. What could a church do if all of us did? And granted, we're not always going to know what each other's doing and what other each other's role is, and that's, that's okay. But are you? And this is where I want us to prayerfully consider what is our role here? How can we accomplish the mission that Christ has given us together? I'm going to close this in prayer and then we have a song that we can reflect on and with or sing together again by, by way of video. Heavenly Father, thank you. Thank you for your church. Lord, you know far better than we do and you have created and formed and commissioned your church as an opportunity for us to be committed to you to serve you, to love you. That we would not be on our own. That we're awfully tempted to try it on our own. Forgive us when we do. But God, that you would search our hearts, know our motives, what is our role in your church? How are we to be involved? Me included, God. I'm not assuming that... (laughs) Mine's established that there isn't more or less or different things that I should do. But God, that we would reflect on this together as we begin to peer into 2020. Not that this is a resolution we break, but God, it's a covenantal commitment to you and to your bride.